Good morning. It's a, always a privilege to stand in front of God's people ready to, that are ready to listen to God's Word and bring that to you and to your hearts and my prayers that you're going to be encouraged today. Because each of us pastors or Chad or vicar that stands up here are just crummy sinners saved by grace. And it moves my heart that if that any of you would come again and again and again to listen to us sinners talk about the very Word of God and receive what we say with all of our own flaws as it really is when we proclaim it in church. It is what we say is the Word of God. And you receive it that way. And that always amazes me because I know I'm a cracked pot. And the reason I start that way today is that's the, that's the feeling that the Apostle Paul felt about his churches. And especially he expressed that when he wrote the Thessalonians. We have two letters that he wrote to them. He, and he says in the first letter, we, we apostles were amazed. He, he, he kind of includes his follow, his like Timothy and Titus with him. We were amazed that when we came to Thessalonica, and preach to you that you received our audible words as the very word of God and that it ch- you were saved and it, you, you formed a church and it changed your life. And we know from the, the history surrounding the book, he had only been there three weeks. There's not a person in this room that's experienced that kind of change where somebody came to town and then only stayed three weeks and there was a church around the audible words that the preacher brought and they're straining to try to remember what he said and they're being persecuted by their Jewish families and even some of the Greeks and Romans and that's what Paul and the Thessalonians had experienced together and the only way to communicate back then if you were no longer with them was by a paper letter that on paper that wasn't that well made anyway and carried not by a three or four different possibilities like UPS or FedEx or U.S. Mail, but by somebody that you put it into their hands and trust they're going to take it to them. And all this is going on, and we, the moderns, today get to look over Paul's shoulder and we say, Pastor and people, wow. It's, it's this word of God in Jesus Christ that pulls you into this building. It's this word that makes me come and, and spend my life proclaiming it to you and I'm amazed that you after 24 years of hearing my preaching would still listen knowing all of my foibles and so I'm endeared to you but I've experienced what Paul did and that's I've been endeared to people after a three-day retreat the gospel of God's love when you share it together does that to people it pulls us together And so Paul, when he wrote them, I can feel his heart and you can feel it. And we are in the last, we're in the last part of what we call the Christian church year. And our pastor Dan has picked 2 Thessalonians, this heartfelt letter between pastor and people during the last part of the Christian church year to be a, a sermon series. And what this is all about is the end times. You remember that? Some of you have worshipped in a Lutheran church for a long time that the last three or four Sundays of the Christian church here, we talk about the end of the world and the end is near and how should we then live? Well, 
why would Pastor Dan pick this heartfelt letter from pastor and people from called Thessalonians then, and the second letter at that? You know why? After Paul left Thessalonica, they were really bothered by the fact that he told them that Christ was going to return soon and that the end was near, and they had all kinds of questions about that. They felt the urgency of being on the doorstep of heaven. I bet Beverly feels the urgency. Her husband went there Friday. We feel that urgency too. So in this little section, Paul says, I'm going to boil it down for you. Paul says to the Thessalonians, and we look over his shoulder, and God preserved it so God could say it to you. God says to you, Paul says to them, stay plugged in. It is so easy for Christians, because half of them is a sinner, to unplug. Stay plugged in. Now, they wanted to have their questions answered about the Antichrist and about the end of the world. And if you die before Christ comes back, do you still get to go to heaven? And he answered all those questions. But like Jesus, he always answers more, Paul does, the questions he wanted them to ask. And one was, what should we be doing while we wait for him to return? Some of the Thessalonians thought they should quit their jobs and sit around and pray only. And, he's, and so in this letter, he says, no, no, if any would not work, remember that verse? That's, that's become famous. If any would not work, neither should he eat. Boy, that'll get you up in the morning. If <laughs> God says, if you don't work. But look at what he says about staying plugged in to the kingdom work. Look at the first verse. As for other matters, after I've talked about the Antichrist... Brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. Don't let it blow over your head real fast when you look at Scripture. We're here with the very Word of God for your soul and mine. Pray pray that the message may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. Remember how I said Paul was saying, Wow! He was saying, wow, because he couldn't believe that just him talking audibly, they would grasp the gospel of salvation and it would change their whole lives. Now he says, pray that it would spread and be honored by other people just like it was among you. Yes, 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 we know we're supposed to pray. Yeah, that's the church stuff. We'll do that. We'll pray when Chad leads us in prayer that the word would spread. Is that what he's talking about? No. Here's the deal. And I'm going to tell you, I do not logically understand it. I do not. But I believe it with all my heart. Just like I cannot logically tell you about the Trinity, how God could be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one entity, I cannot explain it. I believe that with all my heart. I'm going to tell you, the deal with this passage is, God does not spread his word alone. He will not spread it in some places if you don't pray. If you pray more for the spread of his word, he'll spread his word more. Or else this whole verse means nothing. 
How plugged in have we been? In our personal prayers, in our family, we'll pray in the morning. We have this new little guy in our house, and so we're, that's a great impetus to get Don and Mary up and praying in the morning before you run out of the house to teach him how to pray. And it's so easy for prayers to go like this. Help our day to go well. Help us to get along. Help, help us be safe. Help us, help us, help us, help us. What God wants us to do is to ardently pray that the gospel that confronts a damned sinner, and we are all without Jesus damned, and says, I, you are lost in your sin without me, but now you're found and I've saved you, that that gospel would spread for the salvation of many people, with the goal being all people. And it will spread more if we pray more and watch for God to work. He wants to work with us. I don't understand it logically. Why would he wait for me to pray or you to pray? But he does. Jesus didn't just throw out the words, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out more laborers into his harvest field. So what I'm, at, I'm wanting you to do as your shepherd, and I'm speaking to you heart to heart, like Paul to the Thessalonians, is I want you to make a note of this and start praying ardently that the word of God would spread, starting at your church and all over the world. And expect to get reports somewhere from anywhere of how that's happening. Trusting, just like you trust in the Trinity, trusting that God is, wants to work with you. Because it's God's word. It is so easy for us Christians who've been Christians for a long time to treat the matters of our faith like an old set of clothes. We put it away in the closet. It's out of style. We've got to clean it out. And at one time we were excited to wear it. But now it's just sort of not part of our life anymore and we need to move it on. That was for that season when I really needed God and needed to be close to him and be excited about his kingdom work. No, the gospel is the thing that we wear every day, the robe of righteousness. And it's the thing that we'll wear the moment we step into heaven. It's the clothes that never wear out, that are always new and fresh. So the first thing you want to take away from being plugged in from the Apostle Paul is to be praying and supporting gospel work. By the way, before I leave that point, I meant to say it a few minutes earlier, but I'm going to say it now. It takes people, money, and prayer, and many in time, many other things to do kingdom work, but the church gets caught talking about money a lot when actually we should be talking about prayer as much or more than we ever talk about the needs to support the gospel ministry otherwise because prayer accomplishes things without a dollar being spent because God is listening but it's hard work and it's intimidating work to do the Lord's work and it takes faith and faith comes from hearing the gospel faith comes from hearing other promises from god faith comes from a long life of seeing god work even when you didn't think he would but it takes faith to face the intimidating work of the church you know why it's always a struggle christian work is always a struggle you know why the world doesn't want it you know why it disrupts families 
Family's going along, it's got its own culture, Bloop, somebody comes to faith, and suddenly they're on a different track, they're listening to a higher drumbeat, they're going a different way. Even if the family's dysfunctional, they think it's functional when that person becomes a Christian and they tell them, we don't want you to become fanatical. While the family's fanatical and dysfunction, it, governments don't like it when Christianity sweeps through because everybody has a higher allegiance and they'll go against Christianity, right? It's, it's always going to be trouble because there's a prince of the power of the air called the devil. That's a Bible term. And it says the whole world is under his sway and he doesn't want to see territory taken for the gospel, right? So he throws temptations at us. All of us, especially the leaders, and it becomes tough and intimidating work to do the Lord's work because you become a target in the world for people who, and, and demons who just don't want to see it spread. And the Apostle Paul, when he wrote the Thessalonians, I'm staying close to the text when I tell you all this, he was feeling it in Corinth. See, Thessalonica is north of Athens, and then Athens, and then Corinth on the map. And so Paul is down in Corinth when he writes the Thessalonians. You know why he had to leave after three weeks? He was being stoned by the Jews that ran him out of town that didn't want him bringing the gospel to Thessalonica. And it wasn't a whole, wholly a Jewish city. It also had pagans there. Then, then he went down to Berea, got run out of there. Then he went to Athens, had a big deal on Mars Hill. Then he went down to Corinth, and then the Jews kicked him out of the synagogue there, and he went to the pagan uh, lecture hall and started talking about Jesus. And, he's, and, and the Jewish synagogue leader, because he became a Christian under Paul and had been letting him uh, preach in his synagogue, got beat by his Jewish friends. And Paul's got all this going on around him. And remember, death threats on his life. And so then he writes, this is what Paul says, and pray that we, meaning himself and Titus and Timothy and Silas, anybody that's doing the work with him, pray that we be delivered from wicked and evil people. An interesting thing about that word wicked, it's not really a word for, the evil word is there and it means evil everywhere. Wicked usually means out of place. People that are acting out of place. They shouldn't be doing this to us. It's, they're doing it illegally. They're doing things that are wrong. They don't care about anybody's rules. Wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. That was an understatement for him and the Thessalonians. And then look what he says. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. While Paul asked for prayers that they would be protected and delivered from the people that would do harm to them. He doesn't want to freak the Thessalonians out that they would say, well, if he's worried about it, he's asking us to pray that we should worry about it. They were being persecuted after Paul left because the Jews that didn't convert didn't like it, that these Christians were Christians. But he says, God will protect you. And he means God will protect you and me, but we need to be praying, trusting that he'll do that. This is the way the church, from the very beginning, when, when uh, the church gathered and Peter had been put in prison and gathered to pray, this is the way the church, in faith, reacts to the intimidating work of the gospel. They draw near to God in faith, trusting that he's faithful, and they ask God to help them advance the gospel, even though there's people that don't want it to advance. So point number one was praying and supporting the gospel is staying plugged in. Point number two is trusting in your heart with prayer that God will advance his gospel and praying ardently that he will in the face of evil men. Um, 
I want to tell you about a guy that I discovered just by actually doing some research on some pastors that I was putting on a call list. And uh, I get to comb through their sermons. The Internet's wonderful that way because I can go to their church website. I can either read a sermon or I can, I can listen to a sermon because I'm putting guys on lists for other congregations to pick from to call their next pastor. And this one pastor dug up some history that I didn't know about, and then I went out and found more of it on, this pa- on another pastor named Lewis Harms. Have you ever heard that name? I don't, I don't know if many of even my own pastor friends have heard of him. He was a German. He was a German, and he was born in 1808, and he died like in 57 years later. What was that? I can't remember, 1865, something like that. So think Germany, but at the end of his life, it's about the time of the Civil War here in America. There were, there, I've, I've, I've remember studying in church history about the German mission societies, but this is a story about how one got started. Some of you have traveled Germany a lot more than I have. I've only been there once, but there's a place called Hermannsburg, about an hour, Ermi, south of Hamburg. You know where Hamburg is because you're a German, right? American, right? But Hermannsburg, Lewis Harms was a pastor there. His dad was a pastor there. He went to off to college, and in college, like many kids in America, he lost his faith and became an atheist for a while. But then in studying the scriptures, trying to figure out his own life in his mid-20s, he read John seventeen three that said, uh, this is eternal life, that people may know you, Jesus said it, that people may know you, the true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And he said it was like God just spoke to him, that he had loved him and he forgave him, and this was the meaning of life. And he started, and he's a very bright kid, and he dedicated himself to studying for ministry, and that took him another six years. And then he started praying for a congregation. At that time, he did not know, he did not know that it would be his father's congregation. And another six years passed, and he ends up being asked by his dad to come down and help him in Hermansburg. And then things started to change in that little congregation. Being led by father and son, and then father passed away about six years later and led by son. They had a, a, an awakening and a revival and an ardent ministry that went on the rest of his life, Lewis Harms' life, and they started a mission society in the church. This was a little bitty town, a little bitty church. And, and, and his, he, he was influenced in his own reading by a guy from England named George Mueller of Bristol. Some of you may have done some Christian reading, you've heard about him. And George said, I won't ask for money, I will only pray that God will give us what we need to do his work while we dedicate ourselves 100% to doing God's work and mission work. And so that's what Lewis Harms did. He said, we're not going to ask, but we're going to pray. One day, one day, some sailors came down the river and then crossed land to Hermansburg. And they said, we're coming looking for a church that wants to do mission work. We want to be trained to be missionaries. They had no training. And Lewis had been praying about that. And here comes like 12 guys. And so they started teaching them. And I'm going to try to race this story forward to save time. Through this little group... They ended up training those, two of, two of the 12 died, two of them proved unworthy, the history said, and then eight of them were ready to go to mission work, and they decided to go to Africa in the 1800s, and they didn't have a way to get them there, and nobody would let them, 
uh, go on their ship. And so one of the sailors said, well, let's build our own ship. And so what are we going to do for money? And Lewis said, we're going to pray about it. And they prayed about it. And somehow money came in one time in that little six-month period. A widow said, I'm going to give my whole farm to you. And they built their own ship called the Candace. And this took years. And they sent those guys and like 30 more people. And they went all, they sailed out from Hamburg up the river and out the sea. And they went all the way around the continent of Africa to the southeast side and ended up starting a mission there. And within seven years, they had bought 40,000 acres, seven mission stations, started a place for uh, people that were kicked out of prison but couldn't repatriate into society very easily back in Germany. So they had a, an asylum for ex-cons. They had 20 people in there, 45 new people studying to be missionaries. And he was the pastor of his church and kind of the district president of seven more in southern Germany And all this time, he suffered from severe rheumatoid arthritis. And with Elaine Poldrack and Lucille Steger, we know what that means. In a day in the 1800s. And the only thing they did to treat it was give you opiates. But what would opiates do to a pastor trying to lead his church? It would wipe him out, right? And so he wouldn't take it. And he said, I, he said I've, I've come to a place of contentment to stay when I'm up late at night in the pain to just lay there and pray to my Lord and enjoy communion with him so the next day I can lead God's people with joy. And he died in, in his late 50s. And his brother, who had become a pastor, carried on after him. And within, at the year of Jubilee, the 49th year of this whole thing, they had 24,000 Christians in Africa from this One Mission Society's work, from a little church in Hermannsburg, Germany. And, oh, there were people saying he was crazy, and there were people that thought they were weird, and there were problems, but they kept going. Here we are in a different place in time. Let me just tell you a little story, not to make you proud, but to make you happy. This congregation right here in the history that it's been around since 1969 has started nine churches, efforts to get them started, members to be sent away. We've had 19 vicars. We've had six men, and I think I lost count. I think there's another one I can't remember that have come through our congregation, decided they wanted to be a pastor or grew up here. We've, had, we've trained four people for teaching ministry and two staff ministers with Drew Carter being the second one. We give $80,000 a year right now to world missions through our church body. And now we're sharing my time with the rest of the district. And in the district, we made a goal to do what Holy Word is doing because I'm sitting in that chair to start 10 churches in 10 years and we've started seven and four. I'm not boasting. I'm saying we are, we've got problems. There's people in this church that think it's fading. It's only fading if we don't stay plugged in, right? The gospel's still good and powerful and saved our soul, right? We want to be delivered from the people that don't have faith, but we don't want to be the people that don't have faith. We want to be like Lewis Harms, right? Say it again. There you go. 
Our Jamaican friends are afraid that you'll think they're weird if they say something back to the preacher. Everybody say amen. Oh, see, we can do that every now and then, right? We had bluegrass today, right? That's called, by the way, LBG, Lutheran bluegrass. (laughs) I know it makes people from the Midwest uncomfortable, but I don't care. I love them too, right? Let's get going and not worry about what troubles we have. We're going to have them, right? But let's advance the gospel. We'll pray and we'll trust. Okay, let me get to the third point. I've got to go to the other site and preach. This is what Paul says. We have confidence in the Lord that you Thessalonians are doing and will continue to do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. One of the things that he is about to command is, get back to work, you guys that quit. Okay, and he says, I'm confident that you're going to do that as you wait for the Lord. Because you know, he still hasn't come back 2,000 years later now. But he said, I want you to, I'm praying that you'd be directed into God's love and Christ's perseverance. That word perseverance speaks for itself, but it literally means to remain under the load of life. To keep on keeping on, whose phrase is that? Pastor Jim Radloff, and I'm going to talk about him again in a minute. To keep on keeping on, no matter what's going on in your life, in the, to advance the gospel in Christ's love. See, if we're just talking about religious fervor and doing lots of things for our faith, and we're not really understanding, this is a love relationship between Jesus and me. He has saved me and he saved other people, and I just want to get that word out and help people grow into that and understand how it permeates every part of their life and spreads into their world. And by the way, there's nobody that retires from this. Nobody gets a break while they're in college or because they've got little kids at home. It's all about persevering as people who are in Christ's love, serving God and one another with all of their energy, all of their heart, asking God to supply them more. There are no spectators in Christianity. If you feel like you're spectating, then we need to talk so we can help you not, because you're not activating and growing into the person that God wants you to, to be persevering the way Christ does. And it's all about God's love working in your life. And now I said I'd talk about Jim for another minute or two. Pastor Radloff is very sick. He's 80 years old, and he can hardly get out of bed. But what's the latest thing he's been working on? Joyful children of the world, which mostly work in China. Baptized over 30 people the last 10-week trip. What's he been doing from his sick bed? Getting Joyce to type his emails. Some of you are teaching for him, right, on, on using the Internet, and you're teaching people in the world. He's 80. Can he take a break now and rest? He won't let himself. He's sick. Can't he stop? He won't let himself. Why? Because he's neurotic? No, because he's filled with God's love, and he's only got a few months maybe left, right? And he wants to serve with all he's got. Now, I mentioned Lewis Harms, and I mentioned Jim Radloff. I'll just tell you, the other services will get it, but I forgot to talk about Christy Franklin, who prays for the church in part one. Who are these people? Superstars? No, they're just sinners saved by grace who get it. And I'm just going to say with all my heart inside of me, do you get it? This is the meaning of life. 
It's a meaning of joy. It's a meaning of service. We're all about, we're God's people. Yeah, we've got vocations, and we all serve in many vocations. I mean, your job, your dad, your mom, your wife, your husband, and, and you, 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 you do all that for Jesus, but you also advance the kingdom and pray that the word of God would spread rapidly because we're in a war for souls, and there's nothing else to live for that's going to last beyond your lifetime. This is the big thing, the gospel. And if there's something connected between you and your church that's keeping you from, like, joining forces with us, why don't you come and talk to us about it? Maybe we can get rid of it, whatever it is that keeps you back. What is it, what is it that keeps me from doing a little bit more? And I, and I represent all of us. These are the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 13 about the parable of the sower. Remember, for, sow this, the word of God is the seed and it's sown. There's four kinds of soil. I want you to read the first paragraph with me off the screen, okay? Ready? The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. I know the hard, the hard path and the, and the rocky soil is around, but I believe that this paragraph describes the biggest temptation we Americans have. It's the, it's the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. I've heard at least 15 commercials this week about my retirement. We worry about this life, and there's deceitfulness in our wealth, and we are selfish by nature in our culture, and it chokes out that generosity of the gospel in giving our life in service to Jesus. And we keep way, I'm, I'm including myself as an American, we keep way too much for ourselves. And the, and, and the parable of the, or not the parable, the story of Jesus sitting in the temple where the widow gave her last two mites, and he said, the rest of the people gave from their plenty, but she gave all she had. There's not a person in this church yet that's given all they have. And it's because we worry. And wealth is deceitful. And so the gospel is still at times a stepchild in our mission in life when the gospel is the mission that we're all on. It's the thing that saved us. It's the reason that Brother Lou Ravenberg is in glory now. And us too. Let's read the last paragraph. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. You are saved by grace. <laughs> the Christian church is not a performance mill where the, you know, if you perform well, you get to be saved. <laughs> but we will produce different amounts. God never worries about comparing people one to another. But Jesus said, everyone that believes the word and understands what it's all about will produce some this, some that, some that. There's only one person right now that you should be thinking about, and that's yourself. What's one or two things being aggravated in a good way by the word of God, your old sinful nature being beaten down and your new nature being built up in God's love, what's one or two things that you could do more in your prayer life, in your middle, middle point, point, trusting God to deliver, or in your perseverance 
What's one way that you know if you just came and pushed the cart along the path with the rest of us a little more, it would all go a lot further because one more person put their hand to the cart? What's one more way that you can help spread the gospel? Stay plugged in. Amen.